Hey, everyone. Welcome to Revival Town Podcast. Chuck Tate here. That's Andy King. How are you doing, Chuck? Doing great, mate. How you doing? You're looking very well. <laughs> Gotta say, if you've never met Chuck Tate before, he's the man with the golden locks. <laughs> golden locks. <laughs> I was talking about your beard. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, yeah. How you doing? I'm good. Yeah, you're looking good. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, we, yeah. we have got an amazing uh, show today. We do. A uh, friend of mine uh, is on from England. Uh, yeah, that's... That's all we'll say for now. Yeah. yeah right? Really cool. Uh, really cool experience. Yeah, we... we uh, this, this has been one that I've been waiting for because the gentleman that we've got on hasn't just made history. He really has made history but also with what he's doing now is making history in england and in the uk so we'll be talking uh, to tim dupe in just a little while yeah. but uh chuck how are you seriously yeah. this guy looks amazing <laughs> is it something is it something yeah. like have you got a new yeah. beard oil uh, or what <laughs> okay I, I oh my goodness i colored my beard last night <laughs> Oh, for real! I did, man. I, I colored my beard last night, so I guess wow. it's 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 standing out. And even though I have longer hair, it is getting thinner on top. But there's product for that, so yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, amazing product. Yeah, yeah. It includes glue and no. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we have oh. we have a good time. And no, seriously, this this interview that that we did was. Um, it's inspiring. I really, I mean, you know, I had never met our guest prior to today, and really impressed with his humility, his love for Jesus, his love for the local church. Really yeah. stood out to me as a pastor, and uh, of course, to hear some of the stories. You guys are going to love this. Yeah, and uh, you'll you'll get to meet Tim Jupe in just a little while. He was the uh, keyboard player for Delirious, the worship band Delirious, but now is doing um, a movement. It really is a movement called Big Church Day Out, and uh, over 30,000 people are going to this prior to COVID. Uh, he'll be talking about that journey as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, so we uh, got to hang with Tim for just a little while. Boy. Gotta love technology. Yeah. Even during COVID, yeah. we can still do this. It was cool. It was a cool experience. And um, I gotta admit, I did struggle a little bit with this English accent. I have yours down, but his is... Was um, a little bit stronger, maybe. I don't yeah, know. a little I don't bit. And also, I felt like, man, I, I, almost out of place. Of course, you were out of place, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean what, 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 you know, what? You had two against one today. Two against. Well, next time, I'm going to drink tea if we have to do that. <laughs> oh man! I tell you what, the response to people listening to the podcast has been amazing. Uh, we were into a few episodes here. And uh, if you are listening for the first time, welcome, welcome. But make sure that you're checking us out on social media at Revival Town Podcast. Uh, we've got the website up and running as well, uh, as well as all the socials. And subscribe, subscribe. subscribe. That's big. Wherever you and, listen and if to, you, and if you feel feel like it, give us a five star rating because that helps extend our reach as well. We yeah. want to be able to share this message with the masses and, and we have seriously we have some amazing interviews coming up uh we have been reaching out to a lot of people 
and uh, so and are responding back responding back only a couple restraining orders besides that man it is yeah. looking good yeah i don't like it when you go to the house chuck and, and i'm so, with you know with, i know with with beard oil <laughs> We well, got we got to get Crowder on here. Oh, come on. That's right. There's the beard of all beards uh, right there. Hey, well, you know what? Let's let's get right into this interview. I do think people are going to really enjoy this. So sit back and relax to this interview with Tim Duke. Well, Chuck, I have a friend on uh, Zoom, obviously, uh, with what we're doing, uh, a lot of the interviews are via Zoom, but this is a friend of mine who um, I've known for, wow, probably 15 years now. Um, he uh, was in a worship band that most people know about, a band called Delirious. Yeah, I love Delirious. In fact, uh, their song, Obsession, is still in our rotation for our worship set. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Kerry Job just did a, a bit of a, a rendition of it. Yes. In fact, yeah, when you showed it to me, we did it at church that weekend. Oh, so how okay. cool is that? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Well, um, we have uh, with us Tim Jupe, who is... Um, okay, Tim, I know, I know the other guys in Delirious wouldn't say this, but I would say you were the backbone of that band. Because you just... Yeah. Is that a compliment, or is that, I don't know how to say <laughs> Because you knew how to lay the, the pad. I mean, honestly, Chuck, when we started um, doing a lot of the delirious stuff at different churches and things like that, like, the sound was so new because of this big pad that would be in the background. You think of, did you hear the mountains, uh, did you see the mountains tremble? And it's that boom at the beginning. Yes. Tim was the guy Man. who bought that boom. Tim, it's an honor. Nice to meet you. It's my honor to be with you guys. I can't believe it after all these years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and you guys came uh, to Peoria three times um, and we had some incredible times, Tim. Uh, I remember you would do it as the uh, the kids tour, where you would bring uh, the kids with you and the family, the wives as well. I think it was like thirty eight people would be on that tour, something like that. It, it was crazy. I do remember that we didn't really come to play, as you know. We just came to the roast dinners. Oh, that's it. We would look after you with the roast dinners. Yeah, that's what we were there for. <laughs> and then they played some music at night so it was great it was great well we thought we would catch up with tim because obviously uh, a few years ago delirious um uh, ended but that started a new chapter in tim's life um so we're going to be talking about that because that's become a massive movement in europe uh, uh chuck with what tim and his team have been doing but tim let's go back a bit can you can you tell us a little bit about your family? Um, not even not even delirious world, but just where you're at right now. Obviously, uh, you have an accent, so you are not from around these parts. Tell us a little bit about into the life of Tim Dupe and, and family life. Well, I live on the south coast of England. So if you imagine where London is on a map and you kind of draw a line and come down, as far as you can go. If you went, uh, that's where we live. If you went any further, you'd be in France. 
Okay. And I'm married to Becca, and Becca is the senior pastor of the church All in right, our so town, and that's the, same, that's the same church that the Lyris were in all those years that we were going. So, yeah, let's pause there, Chuck. I don't know if you caught that, but Tim's wife is the senior pastor of the church that Delirious came from. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, before that, when Delirious were were rolling, it was your father-in-law in in charge of the church, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I don't think he ever believed in women in ministry at the time, so... Wow. God, God kind of cornered him at one point. Yeah. And uh, he ended up handing the church over to his daughter. That is, that is and, amazing. Uh, Becky's Be- Be- been leading the church for like, she was, she was on the eldership for like 15 years and then took the church on from her dad and she's led it for uh, 10 years now. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And doing an amazing job, obviously through COVID, what I have enjoyed uh, is being able to. Uh, click into different churches and see what's going on. And I messaged Becca a few weeks ago just saying how I love the service. Um, and then tell us a little bit, I don't know if you have much to do with these guys, but the, is it King's Village? Are, the, are they guys that are out of your church, this new worship sound that's coming out of the UK? Yeah, that's a worship team that's really the worship team from our own church. So they kind of got a little bit of the DNA of Delirious in them. Yeah. Uh, you know, another generation, and they're two of our worship leaders who are writing the songs, and the songs are starting to get out there a bit. That's exciting to see that happen again, and this time play more like the uh, fatherly role in it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> do you ever go in and say, oh. "Hey, do you ever go in and say, hey, can we put a little bit of a better pad in that, a little bit more of a keys in there?" <laughs> I mean, I keep up. I can't. I can't keep up with what they're doing. I mean, it's another, you know, another thing that they're up to playing wise, and it's, it's great. They're doing really good. It's I think it's a hard song. thing though. These days in the UK, we have really don't really have much of a kind of Christian music scene as such. Right. You know, and back in the day with Delirious, it's a different thing back there. You, you know, we sold records. Um, we got to travel to America. It was two two dollars for the pound, and it kind of worked. Yeah, yeah. But it's a different time now for these guys. What was that like, Tim, when Delirious was starting off? Tell us a little bit about um, the movement that started Delirious. What was that like? Well, we started we started back in the early nineties, and we used to gather kids in our small town, and it was a real one horse seaside town. We had only thirty thousand people, and uh, we used to gather these kids, and after about a year or so, we had about 1,300 young people coming every month. And then we started doing it in the next town along, and then the next town along the coast. And after a couple of years, we were gathering about 3,000 young people every month in these locations, and they would just come for two hours and worship together. And in the summertime, we'd get them all together, and we'd do something on the beach where we lived. About ten thousand people used to turn up, and that was amazing. I look back because that was like before we had any internet, any social media. It was all just kind of word of mouth, and people would turn up on the beach on this one Sunday in July, gather and worship. And we used to give the gospel. People gave their lives to Jesus, and we just took them straight and see and baptized them. Oh man! I'm not sure about the 
not sure about the theology on that, but <laughs> it definitely even be baptized, doesn't it? So we just went for it. Yeah, yeah. It's remarkable. And, and from that, the Liven in a Can CD project came out, which I'll always remember. I'll always remember receiving that in the mail. Um, it was a CD that, I mean, you, you guys, the way you marketed everything, you were ahead of your time on so much. But the Chuck, the CD came in a, a boot polish can. Like, you know, when you'd have yes. shoes and you'd have a boot polish. And, and you know, it'd even have these little, so- on the side, it would said, um, uh, unseal for the spirit. You know, yeah, and you, is, you'd, yeah. you'd pull, and, I mean, <laughs> yeah. the way it was done, Tim, yeah. back then, I mean, obviously, you know, there was no... Uh, big record companies back then that you you were really working with you guys re- it was a real homegrown type of thing how was that trying to just get this music out it was very organic for the concert or the the worship experience type of thing but now getting the music out in mass and like you said back then no internet no yeah, no social media yeah just, nothing like that what was that like tim we just kind of followed the songs, really. I mean, that record you talked about, we did think it was a clever idea at the time, sticking a CD in a tin can, until we got to the US and realised in the can meant something else. <laughs> we, weren't, we, we weren't quite, quite aren't as clever as we thought we'd be on that one. And uh, So we did stick it out in America, started in a tin can. And that particular record was, recorded live, we used to take a machine on the road because things were so spontaneous in those days, you never knew what was going to happen next and God would show up in these times of worship and we thought, goodness, if we don't start documenting what was going on and keeping a record of this, we're going to kind of miss this moment. So, you know, if, everyone, if anyone's never really heard the various, that live and in the can record, you probably find it on, you know, Spotify and things like that. Yeah. That does document life for us 25 years ago in the early to mid-90s, and it kind of kind of is almost the story of what God was doing back yeah. then. And, and really, you know, what happens is the songs just kind of travelled, and we, we were like a nomadic group of people who followed the songs around yeah. on wherever they went. It was a little bit like that. I think it's kind of back to front because... A lot of bands set out as a band and they try and get shows and play gigs in places to promote their songs. Well, our songs got there long before we ever did. Yeah. And we just kind of followed them wherever they went. So, so Tim, I have a question for you. Um, obviously, you guys were ahead of your time and things were so much different back then without social media, like we just mentioned. Uh, when, when people would buy a record, they would go to a music store. And they would preview it. I would go and I would put headphones on. I would sit at a little listening station. I'm like, oh, man, I'm checking out the new Delirious. That was the way that I was able to to sample it. And, of course, obviously as a fan, I didn't even have to sample it. If it was new, I was going to buy it. But I always went to a record store to purchase a record. And you guys just blew it up, not just there, but here in the States. And the music industry has changed so much now. Um, it's all about, I mean, everything's just is digital. How was that? How was it affected you as a musician? Well, towards the latter end, obviously the band working that did affect us in terms of what we could and couldn't do because 
you know, we, we're guys who really believed in local church. So on the face of it, it looked like we were always somewhere in the world every Sunday. But the truth was, three out of four Sundays, we're usually back in our own church. Right. And right. traveling often during the week. And we did fund that operation because we used to sell records, but then everything went to digital. And so then there became a real pressure to travel even more. And it's not, it was always difficult. And they, it was a never-ending conversation mm. with the five about how much should we go away from home. And I think we had 16 kids between us. Wow. And I think being in a band is definitely a job for a single guy. Yeah. And, you know, for family guys, the kids, a lot of challenges. Can you and, just uh, speak so we, into that, Tim, because you mentioned family. This is one of the things that for us as a family, we loved about you guys. Um, you had some rules with regards to travel. Um, first off, I think you need to explain when we say family, can you explain the family dynamic within Delirious? Because people may not understand how entwined your families were. Okay, you'll have to follow this. There were five guys in Delirious. The youngest was John, who was the bass player. John has three sisters, and three of us were married to his sisters. Of course, I was married to the best sister, <laughs> and, and, and still am. And then we had Stu, who was the drummer, married to another sister, and then Martin, who wrote the songs and fronted things up in the band, he was married to another sister. I guess four out of the five of us were brothers-in-law, and then we had wow. Suji, who was a guitar player. God bless him, not related to anyone. Lucky guy. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I'll tell you this. Uh, when I was in Nashville, you know, I would hang a little bit with Stu, and I said, how was how the break? You guys are frozen. Oh, am I? Are we frozen? Oh. we good? You're back. Good. Yeah, you're um, back. I, I remember talking to Stu and saying, um, uh, when I was in Nashville, um, Said, hey, how how was the breakup? And all he would say was, "Well, at least I wasn't in the family." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that's because it was so intertwined. But tell us a little bit then about your your traveling. You wouldn't, um, you wouldn't go for certain days. Tell us about how you really did protect family time. Well, I think you know, obviously, with the kids, you want to protect the kids. I think. We really believed in local church. Yeah. And I think we were really respectful and honoured and we understood that, in fact, what God did with us came out of a commitment and seeing him move in local church. Yeah. So we really wanted to cling on to that. And, 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 of course, who wants to be apart from their kids? Who wants to be away from them? And, you know, we missed a lot of birthdays. I think, thankfully... Over the years, nobody missed the birth of any any baby, but we certainly missed birthdays and everything. And we kind of, I say rules, but I would say it's more boundaries that we put in place where we wouldn't go away for more than 10 days at a time, right. two weekends, so we could always get home. Apart from once a year, of course, when we would come to the US and we would do a whole month and take the kids out of school for two weeks, yeah. we'd have a two-week Easter break, that gave us a month, and uh, we would come every year to see you, Andy. Yeah, yeah. And stop uh, off on that trip, and, and it was amazing. <laughs> we would, get... and, and every day, and every day, the Americans are just so hospitable and so kind. 
wherever you went. And I can remember, you know, people sort of often waited months for you to turn up. And we were turning up with like 35 or more of us and four or five buses with all the children. Yeah. And people were so kind and generous. But I can remember every day they would give all these presents and stuff to the kids. And it would be like trays full of cupcakes and, and candy and yeah. like all this stuff every day. And what they didn't know was is that every night the bus driver would have to pull over the first truck stop and put all this stuff in the garbage. Because yeah. it's like the next day you would turn up and you'd be given more. <laughs> and it just... You, you couldn't feed your kids on candy and cake for a month. Yeah. As, as kind as everybody was, we just didn't know what to do with it. But the, the key for coming to Peoria was, Chuck, it wasn't just American candy that we would get them. We would, we would literally fly in English chocolates, oh, Cadbury's, wow. and all the stuff that these kids would really love. So uh, I know some of that stuff wasn't going in the garbage because Cadbury's <laughs> is... Uh, Totally different yeah. than American. Now, you said that the bus yeah. driver was throwing it away. I don't think he really was. I think he had a stash somewhere. <laughs> I reckon he did, yeah. <laughs> um, He's probably still got it 20 years later. There was no much. Like, like, Please let me drive for you guys again. Oh, yeah. Well, let, let me ask you this question, and then, and then and we'll try and transition into what you're doing now. But a, a couple of things. For, for those that don't know... Um, Revival Town Podcast is the name. Um, I'm a massive Delirious fan. Chuck is a del- massive Delirious fan. And one of the songs that you guys do is Revival Town. Let me, let me just play it a little bit so that the people can, can hear it. So you probably played that many times, Tim. <laughs> uh, I see you. Yeah. Uh, what was the story a little bit of behind that song? Well, that honestly was a story about Little Hampton. You'll have to Google Little Hampton in England, this tiny place that we live in. And there was so much passion for Jesus in these early gatherings when kids came together to worship. You know, there's like so much passion in the room, you're like, I don't think we can contain what God's doing in the room. Right. And we just, we just like felt like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Is this going to break out yeah. into the place that we live? Because we, it's not going to stay here in these four walls. Yeah. Meeting in a school hall once a month. And we just dreamt and imagined what would happen where we lived. And that was it. And, and, and that's that what happened. Yeah. And it was, so the song just says, Revival Town. That's what they're calling this place now. We imagined that yeah. about happening where we where we live. And there was another, you know, there's another song we did called "I Found Jesus," and the lyric says, "Well, I hear they're singing on the street." Right, right. That Jesus is alive, and we were like, "That's going to happen yeah. on our street yeah. outside." And I guess that because really, that was our prayer where we lived. Our prayer was that. Man. And you really did see that explode. I mean. Not just, again, for selling records' sake. It was a pure desire to see Jesus on the streets and see revival break out in the UK at that time. Um, because like you mentioned, back then there was 
there was no real Christian music industry. There was no Christian TV. Uh, there was no Christian bubble. <laughs> um, it, it was purely what you guys were doing was to present Jesus in a new and a fresh way. And, uh, and that just spread out across the world. And you, you got to do some crazy things with different people opening um, for Bon Jovi, right? I mean, you, <laughs> you got to do a Bon Jovi yeah. tour. Um, you got to obviously play at places like Hillsong. You played Wembley Arena. Um, what what were some of the highlights there, Tim? What what looking back, going man, that 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 was amazing. What when we did that? I think the highlights are probably the really big things and the really small things. Mm. And um, the highlights for me were also always the food, obviously. I can remember the, <laughs> <laughs> the food as much as the gig, but. Uh, I guess overall it's just so hard because the highlights were just the privilege of doing it all. Yeah. But when I look back, the fact that we opened up for Bon Jovi was really crazy, really, when you think about it. Because we really carried a lot of baggage with us in terms of everyone knew that we came out of the church. Right. Everyone that knew that's what we were about. And so it was amazing that we got to do things like that. I mean, I can remember... I think the biggest crowd we ever played to was one and a half million when we did something with the Pope. Wow. And it was kind of the most weird and wonderful experience all at the same time. Yeah. I, I love that. And I love the privilege of traveling everywhere. You know, we really kind of went around the world. And I think what we found was, is that in terms of these big gatherings and you know, what you find is wherever you go around the world, the church does love together yeah. and come together. Mm -hmm. Amen. And we really just went around the world helping facilitate a lot of large gatherings in the church. Mm. And back in that time, the only guys could do that, the only bands that would kind of hold that crowd big enough were American bands and us, really. Right, right. And we were usually a bit more eager to travel than the Americans, so we got there first <laughs> and ended up, outside of the US, really, I guess it became like the biggest Christian band thing in the world, definitely outside of the US, because we were, you know, we we're going to Asia three times a year, South America, China, Africa, all, all over the place, many, many different countries in the world. Yeah, and you guys even, um, you and I agree with that, I think you were bigger, you were big over here, but globally you were big. Um, I, and if you look at a lot of the, the worship bands that are out now, bands like uh, Mercy Me, bands like Hillsong United, they in their documentaries, they will always reference being at a delirious event or hearing delirious for the first time, and that triggered them to step out. Absolutely. I think Delirious was instrumental in launching the entire worship movement that is today. Yeah, because it wasn't like what it is now, like back, and this isn't a slam on back then, but worship music wasn't relevant. It was great for the church, and when you were in the church, it was relevant there, but to take it outside the walls, it, it, it just didn't fit. And Tim and you guys just really... Um, raised the bar and set a new standard for how worship can not only be great for the church but outside the church so uh, we're, we're thankful for that um 
And you guys had an amazing run. How many years was it, Tim, that you, you guys were going? We did from start to finish all together 17 years. 17 wow. years, wow. Yeah, I served my sentence. <laughs> but um, obviously, it came to an end. Um, do you want to just touch on how that happened? And um, obviously, you mentioned there was family involved. So, uh, you know, with, without being kicked out of the family, how, how did that, <laughs> how did that all come down? And, uh, and and then we'll start talking about what you were doing now, because that really was a god thing that happened with the timing of everything. But how was that to? Okay, we need to close this chapter. Well, I think, you know, we've done quite a lot of years and there was a lot of pressure on traveling and being away from home. And uh, one morning, Martin kind of woke up and just felt he was done with it and needed to hang his boots up. Um, oh, by the way, hang did. his boots up. That's a, a soccer term. Oh, that's an English thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's an English thing. We do, an actual, we do a thing on, on this show called Tate and his mate, because Chuck Tate and me, I'm his mate, and I throw English words at him and he has to try and guess what they are. And that was a great one for that, hang his boots up. It's all about soccer. So. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. What's, what's, the American, what's the American equivalent of that? Uh, hang their cleats up, is that right? Uh, um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, hang yeah. their cleats. Yep. They call their soccer boots cleats, which is really weird, Tim, but, yeah. you know. Yeah. All right. Um, so, so I'm outnumbered. But, but I guess what I guess what happens is we're in this band of five guys, and the truth is, you know, you don't all wake up one morning and everyone thinks the same thing, right? Mm. So then we had to work out. Oh, this is interesting. We've done this for years, and the one thing we've never done together is we never finished it. <laughs> so, so that was the first for all of us, and then we had to work out how we did that thing. And how we had to kind of wind it down, and you know, it wasn't easy at the end because we were like this massive steam train going at 100 miles an hour, yeah. and the whole thing bring all that to a to a halt, you know, quickly was a difficult thing. So, you know, and you have moments where you're feeling like you're falling off the cliff. And I tell you, it's great for us guys because us guys generally we're pretty bad at. You know, often we find our significance in who we are and what we do. Right. And so that really kind of asks questions about you and all that, and that stuff. Yeah. At that point in time when all that's taken away. So it was good. And it was a good experience, but we got through it and uh, still all friends. And I see, well, I see Martin and I see Stu Smith all the time. Right. Because they live around here and they're my brothers-in-law. Two of the other guys, Fuji and John, ended up in Nashville, so we see them less yeah. than we did before. Now, I remember, um, I remember being over in the UK, and actually, we were staying at Martin's home, and uh, Martin was kind enough to tell all of you guys, "Hey, the King family are here. Come over." And you guys came over for a Sunday afternoon, and um, I always remember playing soccer in his backyard. Uh, with you guys but then I sat down with you and uh, I remember saying Tim what are you going to do now and this was about six or eight months before Delirious was about to do their last gig in London but you were about two to three weeks away from doing your first big church day out and I remember you 
telling me this dream about how you wanted thousands of people to come together for like a family Christian music experience. Um, I even remember you telling me about the flags that would would line the the field where this would happen, and and you were about to step into something brand new. Even though Delirious was ending, it was as though God had had planted something in you and even some resources to be able to launch something. And now, uh, many years later, Big Church Day Out in England and, and across Europe, uh, it's the known thing. But back then, you were stepping out in faith. Tell us a bit about Big Church Day Out and and what you do now. But back then, what it was like to step out in faith. So the Big Church Day Out, uh, and lots of people in the US would never heard of it. Because most of the bands and in the, in the Christian music, thing were, uh, most of them have been over at one point right. or other and played with it over the last few years. So they all know about it. But we gathered for two days in this country estate in the south of England, and it's people travelled from all over the UK. It looks a bit like a festival, but really the, it's just a gathering of the wider church. Yeah. And we're together for two days. We love prayer. We love worship. We love hanging out together. It's diverse and it's churchmanship. It's diverse and it's age group. And it's there's about 30,000 people over two days. Although I think when we come back after COVID, it'll be more like 40,000. I think the appetite for the church to gather will be huge. Yeah. Yeah. And and we just gather together. And really, there's a very similar DNA to the delirious thing. The thing that was always ran through delirious is that like wherever we play, whether it's a small club or a big worship celebration, you know, you know, the prayer when we gathered before playing would be always that we would want the presence of God to come yeah. and really impact people's lives. And that's the thing that's the same about Big Church Day Out is that we just create a space for the church. And the prayer is that the presence of God comes and changes people's lives. Yeah. And yeah. so the event started in 2009 and never dreamt for one moment that this far on we'll still be gathering. Yeah. Not only gathering, it's like, like you say, it's become the largest kind of church thing in Europe right now and um, that meets every year. Um, and it's an amazing thing. And the outcome... You know, the narrative has been we want to create a space to demonstrate the unity in the church. But the outcome has been it's become incredibly evangelistic. Right. So, like, people are bringing their families, their mates. A lot of husbands come and don't go with their wives to church. And people are bringing their friends and people are finding Jesus and meeting Jesus for the first time. Wow. And it's been an amazing outcome. Wow. And, and so, obviously, bringing 30,000 people together... Um, and, and Chuck, I don't know if you've ever uh, just looked online at some of the artists that go to Big Church Day Out. When Tim says most American bands know about it, like everyone that is a name in the U.S. band-wise, they're fighting to play at this event. Mm. Like from Switchfoot to uh, King and Country, um, to obviously Martin has played at it. Kerry Job was that I mean like anyone that is anyone is they this is where they, they want to go. Play. Yeah. And um and so then obviously that brings a crowd, uh, which is absolutely amazing until the country is shut down with COVID. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, Tim, tell us about how your year has been uh, with this. And and you do, you know, you do not just the big church day out, but you, the big church night ins as well and the tours and things like that. But you can't do any of that. So, no, we can't do anything. So we also do a few tours during the year where, mainly for the US bands, really, where they want to come and play. It's not something we go looking for, but the guys in the US who want to come and travel, see a bit more of the UK, we can usually help facilitate a tour for them. But like everything else in those big spaces, you know, we got shut down. I guess the big event world kind of had its legs chopped off early doors with the whole COVID thing, long often before other things got shut down. Yeah. Um, our event happens at the end of May um, every year, and we kind of shut it down by the middle of March this year. Yeah. I, met, I found an email last week from a, a manager of an American artist that everyone would know, and I wrote to him in the middle of the March and said, we cancelled, and sorry, you can't come. And I found the email, and he wrote back, and he was really mad with me. He's, he's furious. He said, what are you doing, man? He says, man, it'd be fine. It'd be all over by the end of April. Oh. He says, why are you cancelling your event? It's not going to be a problem. And I think at the time, I probably thought, yeah, you could be right. Have we done the wrong thing here? This is, yeah. seems ridiculous that we could cancel this for a virus. Yeah. And now we're looking at not even doing it next year. So it's extraordinary. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's crazy. I this week uh, we I've been working with Amy Grant a little bit on some things that we're doing. Uh, she's a close friend in Nashville, and I was just talking to her. She's just had heart surgery, uh, which was a great time to have heart surgery because she wasn't on the road. But she she was like Andy. They've told us there's going to be no events until the end of and until the end of summer next year at least, and. Uh, and she said, the music industry will be the last industry to go back because wow. people can't gather. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I, I've, you know, how have you got, because you have a staff and everything, right, Tim? I mean, it's not like just you doing, <laughs> booking everyone. I mean, you have a staff and how has that been for you trying to manage what God's given you, but also how, how to look after people's lives and livelihoods and things like that? Yeah, well, we have, we're not a big team of about 15 full-time staff. Okay. We did, but we're now down to two, so everyone lost their job straight wow. away. Wow. That's really difficult. Two of them were my own kids. Right. One was about to get married. One was about to leave and have a first baby. Oh, man. So you can call me grandpa if you like. Okay, granddad. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, making your own kids redundant. Yeah. You know, it's never a pleasure, is it, anything like that? Um, and we were three quarters of the way through our year, so we spent a lot of money on on salaries and paying people and marketing costs, and some of the costs of running our operation. Right. So we and that was all money that we could never recover without an event to happen at the end. Right. And so we just had to get on our knees and pray and say, God, well, you need to help us here because unless we can recover that, hmm. we'll never be in a position to go again. And, Thankfully, within just a few weeks, everything got recovered. It was amazing wow. for us. Um, so I think God's kind, and I think it shows that people in the UK are really committed to this vision of this space for the church together. So that's been an exciting thing to see 
people's commitment. And not right now we're waiting. And I think we have to remember at the end of the day, things like Big Church there and, uh, and these conferences and all these things that we all run, you know, they're only events. Right. And it's fine. And the, wo- and the world will be fine without events for you. Because our hope isn't in an event. Our hope is in the church. Right, right. You know, and right. the church is going nowhere, right? That's right. So it's not, it's not a problem. Yeah. It's not a problem. But it's going to be exciting when we come back. Absolutely. And I love hearing your faith of just saying yeah. 40,000 are going to come back. Like, it's it's people, and you're right. There are people who are waiting for that green light to like, okay, let's go. Let's get back to normal. There may be some changes a little bit, but uh, for sure. Chuck, you got... Got anything for Tim? Because I know we've talked a lot about Tim and Delirious and Big yeah, Church Day no, Out is a big deal. You know? And yeah, um, for one, one Tim, I, I love your heart. Obviously, I didn't, I don't know you, and um, met you just during this this podcast. And I just, I love um, your heart and the humility. Um, and your your wife is a senior pastor, and you know I planted a church twenty two years ago. And I, I guess my question for you, and then we'd love to have you maybe close us out in prayer. That'd be awesome. And then, um, and then I have a couple of random questions for you after that. But, um, you know, oftentimes my wife is, has been asked throughout the years, um, so what do you do? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, um, the, the role is somewhat reversed with you and your wife. So what does your role look like in the church that, that she is leading and that you're you're right there, um, you know, partners um, leading together. And I think sometimes there is a misunderstanding in ministry that the spouse doesn't do anything, and <laughs> <laughs> and that could not be further from the truth. So so how is it, um, as far as you know, your your church leadership and your your wife, the senior pastor, in, in your role? Can you maybe expound on that just a little bit before we close out in prayer? Well, I try and keep my head low as much <laughs> as I can. <laughs> I think, I mean, you know, it, I feel like what I'm doing is great fun and we, you know, we love what we're doing. And I think, goodness me, Chuck, you leading a local church, hats off to you, um, all respect, because that is such a hard job. And I think the patience that you pastors have and leaders have is absolutely incredible and I think as the spouse of a leader of the church you know you live in this kind of almost at times terrible tension and paradox of on one hand I want to support my wife in everything that God's called her to do and encourage her and push her on and on the other hand half you spend half your life feeling you want to protect her from all that she has to carry and the difficulty of it all. And it's never, you know, and I think it's such a difficult thing, isn't it? And you, you carry both these things all the time. And, you know, and I don't want to tread on her toes either in terms of what she's doing because she's clearly called to lead the church. That's not the calling on me at all. Right. But I guess my place is, is just to try and be the head, best husband I can in it to encourage her. And it's not different it's not easy being a woman leading the church too. Right. You know, it has it has some challenges. Um and in fact we were looking at a thing this week, she's part of a forum of there's a group where 
60 of the largest churches in the UK together on the leadership team. And we're included in that. We're not a big church, we're about four or 500, but in UK size, that's, you know, it's a good medium-sized church. Sure. And of those 60 churches, she's part of that network. She's the only senior leader who's a woman. Wow. So wow. can you imagine that? It's yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. In, this, in this day and age. So she does an amazing job. And, you know, not only that, spends a lot of time mentoring other women in leadership. Yeah. Man. So I think what you guys do is an unbelievable thing. I think I have an easy job compared to leading local <laughs> church. And then not only that, what you're all having to do to lead it through these unprecedented times because none of you trained for this right. for sure none of you knew this was going to happen and so to keep those people connected i think our focus right now in church local is all about that you know we we do online content we do online service but that's just a mere tip of the iceberg our focus and attention is all about keeping the family, the community we have connected together. And so uh, that's what we're really building on and focusing on. Amen. And, you know, like I say, I think confidence you have is, is that, you know, our, you know, hope is in the local church, isn't it? Amen. And, and, and this will pass, and this will pass, and the church will still be here. And I think, yeah. goodness me, I think, you know, political systems come and go and, you know, you know, economic systems come and go over centuries and over decades, and the church remains, and we're going to be here long, long after all those things. That's amen, so amen. Well, this has been so good. Yeah. So, Tim, Andy, um, can you can you close us out in prayer, Tim, and, and pray for those that are struggling during this unprecedented time? Um, there are obviously are a lot of people that are, are hurting, are struggling. Some places are opening back up, some are shutting down again, and there's just so many unknown variables, but God is in control, and he's going to see us through. So can you pray for those that especially are struggling? Yeah, and I just think as we pray, I think, you know, one of the things I learned a long time ago is when things get tough, there's a really great question to ask ourselves, and that's what really matters here, what really matters here. And I think when we ask that question about, the pandemic and all we're going through, if you say what really matters there, and I think what really matters is that, you know, Jesus Jesus is the thing that really matters in it all. Yeah. So, Father, I pray for Chuck and for Andy, and I pray for ourselves back here in the UK, and I pray for all the people listening to this, to this podcast that through this incredible roller coaster of a ride that we're all going through, through the times of unprecedented uncertainty and, and not knowing that you remain so constant and and your and, and that you you your you know your mercies on you every morning. We thank you, Jesus, that you remain there for us at all times. And we thank you that your church remains. We thank you that we have something to cling on to both in our personal relationship with you and the community you created called church and we love the church and we thank you for it at this time and so god be with us um we thank you god that, you know also in this time maybe sometimes we get even a bit more space in our lives just to know your closeness 
to us and I pray for everyone listening that we will know you close and be with us over these next few months as we get out of this and we thank you God that you, you know that, that this will come to an end we thank you and pray for that in Jesus name Amen. 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 Amen Thank you That's good stuff That's good Tim, we just want to thank you for taking the time. And I know you are a very busy guy, especially trying to figure everything out. I'm not at the minute. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So so we'll stay on for another hour. No, I'm only joking. But Chuck, uh, you said you had a couple of things, yeah, right? Yeah. So um, we like to switch gears here. And I'm just going to ask you three random questions, three random questions. And then we will, um, you can tell everybody how they can connect with you. But um, first question is this. What is your all-time favorite Delirious song? All-time favorite song? I think you actually named it, Chuck, earlier on. It's Obsession. Yeah. Oh, right. That is mine as well. Yeah. That's, oh, that's, yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you heard uh, Kerry Job's new, like, the chorus bit in her live set, Tim, recently? I'm going to check that out. It is brilliant. Um, it's on a new album, but they only went to record one song, and they actually ended up recording three. Two were spontaneous, and one was Cody Khan's her husband led into... Uh, my heart burns for you, and I mean it's, yeah, it's it, yeah, yeah, it's good, it's good. It refired the song in me, mate. So. <laughs> All right, second second question is this: Would you rather travel to space or get in a submarine and go to the bottom of the ocean? I'd love to go to space and look back on the on the earth. Oh, that yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that'd be me. That'd yeah, be me. yeah, me All too. Right. Last question. All right, last one. Um, have you ever had anything stolen? Um, <laughs> I don't think I had. Oh, yes, I've had a car stolen. Oh, oh mate, that's, yeah. a, that's a big thing. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've, had, I've had three cars stolen. Three? Three? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little bit different in yeah. England, Chuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, we we just we always end with some some three random questions, and you did pretty good on them. But in, in all seriousness, we want to thank you for being with us today. Uh, we appreciate your ministry over the years, and it's still going the way you're impacting the church. I have family in England that go to big church day out, and they love it, and and just keep pushing on even during these crazy times. We know, like you said. Things will pass. Things are going to get back to normal to where you'll be able to gather the church together and really make an impact. So, Tim, I thank you so much. Thank yeah. you both. Great. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. You. Great meeting you. Thanks, Tim. That was a good time. Did yeah. you enjoy that? That was fun, man. I loved that. It was really, really good stuff. What were some of the things that jumped out for you? Um, probably the first thing was um, hanging up your boots. Oh, <laughs> A bit of Tate and his mate there. You know what? I think that's a great segue into Tate and his mate. And if you're joining us for the first time, each podcast, because Andy is from the UK in English, he shares an English word with me, a slang word that is not used here in America. And I have to guess its meaning. And I don't think I've done it yet. Have I been able you, to? You haven't been able to guess it. I haven't been able to get it. So. Yeah. So uh, I, th I think it's time for Tate and his mate. Let's do it. All right, so here is a word that I think you would like. Right. I think you could use this a lot. Okay. If I say plonker. 
Uh, do you want me to put it into context? Please. Uh, I, I think it'd probably be better before I guess. Plunker. I don't know. Plunker. Plunker. This is in... Plunker. P-L-O-N-K-E-R. Oh, plunker. Plunker. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, here hey, it is. Chuck, this is Andy King. <laughs> here we go. Chuck Tate is a plunker. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to... Celebrity? No. <laughs> No, um, psycho? <laughs> uh, um, um, beard coloring? Uh, no, um, okay. Chuck T is a plunker. I'm going to go with... Preacher? Sorry, mate. Uh, you ready? I don't know if I am or not. I, Here we go. Chuck Tate is an idiot. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Chuck, you can really use this one a lot. Yeah, like, yeah. Chuck, you plunker. Yeah, plunker. <laughs> so, yeah. so, again, we say this every week. Everyone has got to try and use this word yeah. this week. Yeah, use it. Find a way to use plunker. Just don't email me when using it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> email Andy. No. Oh, man. Well, Chuck. So, look it, at that guy, that guy. What a plunker. He colors his beard. <laughs> Time for him to hang up his boots. <laughs> Skew off, Jack! <laughs> oh, man. This podcast is worth listening to just for the last five minutes of Chuck trying to get as many English words into one sentence as possible. Oh, my. Oh, well, thank you again for listening to Revival Town Podcast. This was an amazing one. Make sure you are sharing it with people. Uh, make sure you're subscribing, following us on the socials. Tell people about it. We, yes. we Honestly, we've got some incredible people lined up. We don't want anyone to miss out. So make sure you're checking in uh, to the Re Revival Town podcast every week, but also letting people know about it. Absolutely. Just don't be a plonker. Just don't be a plonker, Chuck. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Revival Town Podcast. Make sure you're following us on social media and remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, head on over to RevivalTownPodcast.com. Oh,